Is there a verse or two or three in the Bible that you maybe wish wasn't there? Have you ever thought of it that way? Um, I, I, well, it sounds like many of you are like me. Uh, you know, maybe it's um, love your enemies. That could be one from Matthew 5, 44. Or maybe it's uh, the uh, admonishment to forgive, 70 times 7, essentially, to be willing to forgive uh, all the things that, uh, that have come your way. Or maybe it's uh, from Philippians 2, regard one another as more important than yourself. Uh, that's easier said than done. You know, these verses and many others are like spiritual thorns in the flesh that continue to expose us as the Bible does expose our own sinful uh, thoughts. Well, as we come to the verse today, which is the very last uh, part of the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, it seems to me that some of us may very well wish that these verses uh, were not in the Bible, but they are. And um, let's read them together. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. 10 through 12. Uh, Blessed are those who, uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we do come before your word, these words of Jesus. Uh, we pray that we might understand them, that we might believe them, that you might give us the strength to follow them. It's in the strong name, your strong name we pray, amen. Well, this is the last of what we call the Beatitudes, the traits that will make us blessed. Um, some paraphrases of the Bible that, that are translated to make it kind of easier to read will translate the word blessed as happy. Happy are those. And uh, I'm all for making the Bible as easy as possible to understand, but it is true that the word happy doesn't quite get it, doesn't quite uh, tell us what that really rich word blessed means. I mean, happy uh, in our language connotes a feeling. I, I'm feeling happy today, or maybe I'm not feeling happy today. It's, it's somewhat subjective, kind of based upon me. That word blessed is much deeper than that, and it really has to do with, with God's view of us. Uh, I found it interesting that we, we use the word uh, we sang a song, of Blessed Assurance, just recently, this morning, uh, which you could see in the words that went with it that had to do with our blessed assurance ultimately comes not from in ourselves, but rather from outside ourselves, from God himself. Uh, in the Bible, the, the opposite of blessing is to be uh, accursed or cursed. Um, that, that's really the opposite. Um, yeah, we see that um, uh, with God's covenant with his people. For example, think of the covenant God made with Abram. When God called Abram, he promised to bless him, to make him a blessing to others, to bless those who blessed him, and then ultimately to bring blessing to the whole earth. And so these Beatitudes, all of them teach us that, that uh, what God's uh, blessing is to us, that we are blessed by him, 
and we have the assurance of that because of his love that he first loved us. But, you know, it is true that if we are blessed, then we are probably happy, happy in the deepest sense of the word, not, again, that subjective feeling of how I might feel right now, but rather happiness that's really deep down, not just a surface happiness. So that translation, while it's, it's not as good as that real word blessed, we can sort of find uh, some understanding in that. And I thought, well, it's interesting, how, how does our culture today tell us to be happy? Have you thought about that? Well, I was interested to know that, and so I spent, oh, you know, half, half hour, 40 minutes just Googling that, way, that, that word, you know, how to be happy. How are we happy today? And there were pages and pages of answers, all sorts of answers. 27 ways to be happy, uh, nine secrets of a happy person. You can imagine all that was there. Some of it was contradictory, actually. They didn't all agree on that. But I did boil it down to uh, kind of three themes that were somewhat consistent with uh, the various sites that I looked at in that 40 minutes of uh, in-depth research that I did. Um, and here are the three that I kind of came back with. Um, truly, uh, now this is the, the website, right? This is the culture. Truly happy people enjoy other people, but distinctively are not self-sacrificing. Uh, number two, truly happy people refuse to participate in any negative feelings or emotions that come their way. I mean, if you have it, just, you know, deny it. I mean, think of the, the, the psalmists and how they express their own deep feelings. Quite a, quite a difference there, isn't it? But uh, one way to be happy is just to deny that anything negative is happening. And third, um, truly happy people have a sense of accomplishment uh, that is based almost entirely on their own sense of self-sufficiency. So uh, I, I think you can see uh, that uh, you might expect to see those things. Uh, that kind of makes sense that the world is telling us that. Uh, quite a difference as, you, as we come to the end of the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus would say a happy person, a blessed person, is uh, not unduly self-reliant, but poor in spirit. Uh, one who mour mourns over their sin. Uh, a person who's meek rather than proud. A truly blessed person, happy person, is not self-centered, but loses himself in helping others in need. Uh, a truly happy person is, is not taken with the things of this world, but he hungers, she hungers, and thirsts for righteousness. We strive for purity in heart. A truly blessed person is marked off and known as a peacemaker. Well, there's quite a conflict, isn't there? Uh, two irreconcilable value systems between what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and what we find that our culture teaches us today. And, but as we look our, at our text today, it, it may be that at first you say, gosh, this just doesn't make sense. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Um, there may be some today who are still testing whether, whether they, they are willing to trust Christ with their lives. And you read a verse like this uh, and you say, 
gee, I, I don't know, on first glance, maybe on second and even third glance, I, I'm not sure that makes sense to me. I don't understand how that would work. Well, this verse really is what, what I would call an example of uh, human contradiction, and uh, Jesus was a master at that. He, he would tell people if they wanted to be first, then they needed to be last. He would tell people that if they wanted to live, then they would have to die. Uh, he told people that if they wanted to be rich, they would have to become poor. Uh, this is just another example, really, of the sort of contradiction of the economy of the gospel compared to what we come to. And so what is the contradiction here? You know, what is the problem that, that I have with this verse? And it's this, right? Jesus sees a direct connection between blessedness and persecution, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. And, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, but I think I would be happier if I never experienced persecution. But uh, the problem is, that's me. It's not the opinion of Jesus here. And so, uh, as Christians, we must seek to understand this teaching if we are to know the fullness of life and the promise of uh, the blessedness that comes by it. So, I guess first, what, what is persecution? Well, maybe it's easier to begin with what I think it's not, okay? Um, because this teaching can be abused, and I think it's abused perhaps in two major ways. One, um, persecution is not suffering uh, for being weird for Jesus, okay? It's not suffering for being a fanatic in the worst sense of that word. Um, that deserves more discussion than uh, time than we have for this morning. But surely the gospel is offensive. The gospel of Christ is offensive to men. But it's to be the gospel uh, and not me uh, that's to be offensive. And so um, if you're rude, uh, if, if you're insulting, uh, if you're self-righteous, and just add to that list all the other things that we might be at times, and someone speaks badly of you, well, that's not persecution. In fact, it just may be that uh, you deserved that comment, and you should learn from it. So it's, it's not being um, obnoxious for Jesus. And uh, secondly, um, suffering is, is not Persecution, rather, is, is not suffering for doing something that's wrong in and of itself. Uh, again, that seems, I think, very obvious to that, but very obvious to us. But some people uh, seek to justify a wrong act with loud cries of persecution. And that's just not accurate. That's not what persecution is. Uh, it's interesting that the Apostle Peter has a similar theme in chapter 4. Uh, Peter writes, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, that's interesting, Similar, very similar words, right? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, he said. But then he goes on to say, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Quite an interesting list there. Murderer, thief, evildoer, a very broad category, um, or a meddler even. If, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
he's saying the same kind of a thing. We're not, we're not being persecuted if we're doing wrong. If we're doing wrong, we're doing wrong. And the consequences is not God's blessing, whatever they might be. Well, what is then true persecution? Well, I mean, there's two phrases here that I think help us define that word. One, verse 10, for the sake of righteousness, Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, or for the sake of righteousness. Um, True righteousness is confrontational by its very nature. Abel's righteous life was a constant rebuke to his wicked brother Cain, who did what? Cain kills Abel. Uh, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but chose to be mistreated among the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures for a short time. The prophets, many prophets, but think of Jeremiah, after giving one of God's prophecy, was beaten and put into stocks. And of course, the supreme example is Jesus. Jesus came and the light shone in the darkness. He brought the light. Uh, And what did they do? They mocked him. They beat him. They spit on him. And then ultimately they they killed him. Uh, The the filth of a sewer is exposed by by shining a a strong light in the opening. And so um, righteousness is confrontational by its very nature. And notice verse 11 really takes it further. It says, again, blessed are you when, other, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account or on account of me. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm the one that is the basis of how that persecution will come. If they persecuted me, well, then you should expect that you will also be persecuted. Why would you not? Identification with Jesus is sometimes, maybe it's often, not popular. You tell someone you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, and all sorts of opinions and judgments come your way. Jesus was misunderstood and likely you will be as well. Uh, it, it seems to me that in the last several decades, it has become more unpopular to be a Christian than it was some, some 30 years ago. But friends, we, we can't give up on the word. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. Uh, you know, that's, that's something we have to proclaim. And whether or not we're misunderstood, we'll, we'll seek not to be misunderstood, of course. But we will be misunderstood at times. And persecution in the history of the church, um, physical persecution as well, uh, was relatively common. I mean, think about what's taught, what's described in the book of Acts. Um, 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Now, did any of you catch that misquote? Maybe some of you did. No, it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will 
be persecuted, not might, will. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, who, who knew persecution himself, uh, wants us to be aware, wants us to not be naive on that. Uh, in the early days of the church, the price paid was often the price of their life. Um, you know, read again sections of the book of Hebrews. Some were flung to the lions. Others were burned at the stake. Nero used to light his garden parties with flaming Christians whom he had covered with pitch and had set fire to, and so forth. Um, physical persecution is real. It happened, it is happening, and it will continue to happen. Now, in the culture that we live in today, in the United States, in Phoenix, we probably will not get the call, do you know that one of your members is going to be burned at the stake? Um, that may be coming, I don't know, but, but probably not today. But you see, Jesus, and maybe this is more applicable to us today, not the physical side, but Jesus is not just talking about physical persecution. Again, that's the whole point of verse 11. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter, all, and utter speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. <clears throat> That kind of persecution that I think we're going to see today, we have seen. And again, it, it's just my observation. Do you share it? Uh, that it's, uh, it might be increasing. I think it has increased. It, it's the kind of thing that says, you know, he's a Christian. Don't you think he carries it too far? You know, he really thinks the Bible has got something to say for today. Or, you know, really, she, her devotion to Jesus is, is, seems like it's unhealthy. It's sort of fanatical. Uh, or uh, do you see their face when I tell people what, what, uh, what I think of other people and other cultures and races? Do you see how they react? They don't really like it when I speak that way. Or um, you think there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus? I mean, that is uh, narrow-minded and bigoted. In fact, that's hateful speech. And we live in a culture today where that word hate towards some of the teachings of the Bible is likely to be used. Uh, if, you're, if, if you say that, uh, if you insist that, that uh, uh, let's say, sex is, no, is uh, to be confined to a man and a woman in the context of marriage, well, that just might be considered, well, very narrow-minded for sure, but also hate speech as well. Or, even worse, if you declare that God made us male and female, and that the Bible teaches that there are two genders, not more than two, well, that's considered hate speech by people today. So, you know, how do we avoid being persecuted? Well, never say anything. That would be one way. Never, never make these comments. Never really speak up. Fit right in, you know. Live like the world. Make sure that nobody really knows that you're a Christian. Never seek to share your faith or seek to persuade someone to follow Christ, to see the truths of the Bible. Uh, laugh at the jokes, enjoy the entertainment, and smile when the culture mocks God. And certainly, you know, the Bible says that, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. In the pastoral prayer today, Pastor Ramon talked about the fact that that we're sinners, well, you know, don't tell people they're sinners if you don't want to 
be misunderstood or persecuted. Uh, don't tell people they're lost without Christ. And for sure, don't ever mention the fact that there's a judgment coming. But Bob, you might say, you don't really understand. Uh, the situation I have at work, if I really took a stand for Christ on some of these things, um, I, I might not only be persecuted, but I could lose my job. I'm married with, with three kids. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy cost to, play, to pay. Well, look at friends. I, I don't have easy answers for difficult situations. Certainly, we can't uh, expound upon it here. But if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we should expect persecution, and we should also expect that it's going to be painful. In fact, it is not fun. Everything about being a follower of Jesus, is it too far, is it too much to say this? I'll have to think about it. Everything about being a follower of Jesus is unnatural or counterintuitive. And what I was going to say is it might be a safe rule to, to follow that whatever you're naturally inclined to do or say, well, then just do the opposite. And that's probably closer to the right thing to do. Um, so uh, what do we do with persecution? If, in fact, we think it's inevitable. Well, verse 12 gives us the answer, which, again, is um, pretty difficult to come to grips with. What does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad. Wow. Now, I mean, that's easier said than done. Um, how do you do it? Well, maybe some, some, um, some practical insights on how we might be able to grow in that area and do it. One is, the big picture is, I think you win it by knowledge. You win it by understanding what the world that we live in and the fact that as people hated Jesus, they're going to hate us as well. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Knowledge is the beginning of understanding that we can rejoice and be glad when persecuted. And I think there's three things that the Bible teaches, at least three, there's more than three, but three things I'll mention, that the Bible teaches that persecution brings to us in terms of positive things. And I think by thinking on these things too, when persecution comes your way, which is painful, which is not welcome by uh, by most of us anyway. Uh, three things that might help us deal with it. Uh, one, through persecution comes an assurance of an, your identification with Christ. And again, that song we sang earlier today, I think, speaks of that. Blessed assurance. Through persecution comes an assurance of your identification with Christ. Uh, persecution is meant to be a divine identification that you are one of his you're one of his family he has called you by name he knows you by name jesus didn't die for a mass of humanity but rather he died specifically for you your name was written in the book of life um, you know if you went to certain parts of the world today your your life could be in danger not because of you personally or what you did but because of your identity um, that identity might just be an American. They may not like you because of that, but your association with Jesus is what I'm talking about here. 
That's why your life might be in danger and why you might be persecuted. His ambassadors will be hated. With persecution comes your identification with Christ. Acts chapter 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for his name. Now, you know what I'm concerned about most is, is this word tolerance today. Now, is tolerance a good thing or is it a bad thing? And the answer is it's, it's both, right? It can be good uh, in many contexts, but it also can be bad. What is tolerance? The ability and the willingness to accept the existence of opinions and behaviors that we don't agree with. So it's both the good and bad, and certainly we need wisdom from above uh, to discern our reaction to those many, many issues that we might face. Uh, but today, again, it seems to me that tolerance has become, a certain kind of tolerance has become the certain, uh, has become the greatest virtue that uh, a human could exhibit. Um, to have a civil disagreement with someone is becoming more and more difficult. Uh, either, either believe everything I say or do or you're my enemy seems to be happening more and more, doesn't it? Um, now, the trouble, though, is, is to be tolerant uh, does not mean I need to congratulate you on an opinion or a lifestyle that is clearly opposed to biblical teaching. Uh, if I have a friend who, who tells me that uh, he is having an affair, but he just doesn't want to tell me, he wants me to congratulate him and tell him how happy I am that he's having an affair. Well, I, I just can't do that. And, and, and in some cases, when you're not willing to do that, uh, you're, you're considered to be intolerant. You're considered to be uh, self-righteous. You're considered to be unfair. Um, uh, you know, to say that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ is considered arrogant and intolerant. To say that God is just and in his justice and wrath uh, some will be judged at Judgment Day. All the scales will balance at Judgment Day uh, is in some, in some circles one of the most intolerant and evil things that you could say. Well, secondly, through persecution comes spiritual purification. So our identity with Christ, spiritual purification. Um, and uh, these are the things, again, we must remember to handle persecution. Uh, persecution, in other words, should lead to our growth in Christ. I could have picked several passages to support this, but 2 Corinthians says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I heard a story about a man who was in the grips of discouragement and depression. And he was walking down the road one day, and there was a large, very tall building being built with workers up on the scaffolding. But there was one worker that was down working on a fairly small a rock, a, a small piece of uh, material, 
and uh, working with a chisel, just working very uh, diligently on that. And he thought, well, this huge building and this small piece, what's going on? So he asked the man, what are you doing? And he said, well, do you see that, that opening way up there at the very top of the building? That's where this is going to go. And so I'm working down here on it, chiseling it to make it perfect uh, so that it fits when they take it up there to put it in place. And the man said he felt that God had used that to speak to him personally, that his, the trials and the problems that he was suffering was God's way of chiseling him here now in this life so that he might fit better when he is uh, in heaven with Christ. Romans 5. Uh, not only that, Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, thirdly, through persecution, God grants heavenly rewards. Through persecution, God grants heavenly rewards. Now, I've been uh, in several churches or know of several churches and uh, other communities of faith in the, in the Protestant category, and it seems like um, we don't talk about rewards much. I, I, I know I don't. Uh, I, I wonder if that's a, a short sight uh, on our part, because the Bible does talk about rewards. Um, uh, it, it, it teaches that there are rewards in heaven, and those rewards are not equal. And our text before us is uh, one of those places that teaches that. Matthew 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, I, I don't know exactly how that works. I, I don't know. But, but the Bible does teach that. And ultimately, that should be a motivation for me and for you to be able to deal with persecution when it comes our way. Through persecution, God grants heavenly rewards. Uh, our life today, how we live it, what we do, has an impact on eternity. Persecution and suffering remind us of what we have in Christ and what is to come. You see, everything can be taken from us, right, in a moment. John Chrysostom was a, was a famous preacher of the 4th century, uh, and he offended the emperor by his preaching, not something that you want to ideally do, but he did. And he was threatened with, uh, with banishment, with, with uh, <laughs> being put away, if he did not stop his preaching. And the dialogue that he had to, with the emperor, he said, Sir, you cannot banish me, for my world is my father's house. Uh, angered, uh, the emperor responded, uh, then I will kill you. And he said, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. And uh, the emperor said, well, then your treasures, all of your earthly possessions and family will be confiscated and taken from you. Sir, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven where none can break through and steal. Uh, then I will drive you from men and you will have no friends left, was the final desperate warning of the emperor. Sir, that you cannot do either, for I have a friend in heaven that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, Christendom did lose his life. 
um, but neither his banishment or his death diminished his claims. The things he valued most highly, not even the emperor could take from him. You know, we may not uh, in our lives be called to that kind of persecution. But that does not mean, of course, that you will never face real persecution in this life. And that does not mean that persecution could not increase in your life as well. Our lives, uh, our, our, our names may never be written in uh, a book, the Fox's Book of Martyrs or something like that. Uh, but uh, I'm convinced that it's the little things of your life and my life that, that God looks at. Those little things of faithfulness that he looks at and which he'll grant rewards for. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson is famous, the third president of the United States. Uh, he was known for many things, both good and bad. Uh, one of the bad things he was known for, in my view, is what was called the Jefferson Bible. You may be familiar with that. It, it's online. You can find it online now. And what is the Jefferson Bible, if that's new to you? It's the Bible that he took, and then he just cut out large sections of it that he didn't like. So if he didn't like what it taught or if he didn't believe it, he just cut it out and kind of kept uh, the parts that he liked. I mean, novel, I guess, right? Uh, foolish, for sure. Um, but, uh, <laughs> friends, the Bible does tell us, and Jesus tells us that, uh, and I, don't, I guess I don't know whether he cut this verse out or not. I should have looked that up. But, but um, the Bible does tell us that uh, we will be persecuted, uh, but it will be a blessing to us. We will be blessed by it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, Jesus said. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before this text and we um, uh, pray for understanding as we are not sure how being persecuted leads to blessedness. But uh, we, we understand the, in your economy and uh, your world that it does uh, and that we live in a world that's uh, unjust and unfair and uh, we will be misunderstood and um, even if we're not misunderstood, we might be persecuted for righteousness' sake, on account of you, on account of saying things about you that are true and standing up for things that are true. And so we pray as we uh, deal with that reality that perhaps we're going through now, some here, or have gone through in the past, or maybe we're worried about it going through in the future, that you might give to us uh, the strength that we need that you might renew our minds, uh, help us to have the knowledge needed uh, to deal with persecution when it comes our way, uh, that we might glorify you in all that we do. Amen.